Before I get to my next guest, Jim Gallagher Jr., I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies. And their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection, where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two underperformance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two Under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. All right, now joining me is Jim Gallagher, Jr. Let me remind you about some background on Jim. He's from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, just down the road from my hometown of Pittsburgh, but grew up over in Indiana. Played his college golf at the University of Tennessee, where he is the most decorated player in UT men's golf history. He led it all four years from 1980 to 1983. He was named the Volunteers Rookie of the Year in 1980, and he helped them win their very first SEC championship that season. Jim tied for fifth in that SEC championship tournament. In 1981, he won the Eastern Kentucky Invitational. He was named All-American in 1982 and All-SEC in 1980 and 82. In 1982, he also won the Indiana Amateur and was named the Team MVP. 1983 was a big season. He repeated as the Indiana Amateur Champion and added wins at the Indiana Open and Wildcat Invitational. Plus, he was presented with the team's Leadership Award. He played in the NCAA tournament in 1980, 81, and 82 and helped the Vols to a 6th, 7th, and 21st place finishes. He was inducted into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame in 1995. He turned pro in 1983 and joined the PGA Tour in 1984. He won five times out on the regular tour at the 1990 Greater Milwaukee Open, twice in 93 at the Anheuser-Busch Classic and the Tour Championship, which was played that year out at the Olympic Club. He won twice again in 1995 at the Greater Greensboro Open and the FedEx St. Jude Classic. He was a member of the victorious 1993 Ryder Cup and 94 President's Cup teams. He spent time as an analyst over on the Golf Channel. He's played some out on the Champions Tour, and I'm thrilled he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jim, how are you, my friend? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing great. I uh, actually drove my daughter over to a Justin Bieber concert in Atlanta, so I'm sitting here waiting for them to get back, so I was not going to that. Uh, I'm a little too old for Justin Bieber. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, I want to start our time tonight going back to the beginning because your father was a 50-year member of the PGA and president of the PGA three times, plus a PGA professional of the year in 73 and 78. Talk about growing up with a father who was so well-respected in the game. Yeah, it was so cool. My dad actually, uh, when I was born in Johnstown, as you mentioned, and we moved when I was a month old, but he actually caddied at Sunny Anna, where they have the Sunny Anna Amateur. And that's kind of how he got his start into golf. Uh, worked in the steel mills and, and painted railroad cars and figured he didn't want to do that. And we moved to Indiana with the month old and he didn't make very much money as an assistant. Three years later, became the uh, head pro at Machingo Misha, Marion, Indiana. And he was there 
45 plus years. Uh, and he was just one of those hardworking pros. He believed in service. And it's amazing when you think of a guy that did the things, like you said, president of the PGA. Uh, he did all the things that you wanted to master yourself at or model yourself as as a club pro. And he was in. He loved the PGA. That was his favorite uh, organization to be part of. He was so proud of that. And I think that's probably why people ask me what major I would have wanted to win at PGA because of my dad. Uh, and being a longtime member, I know that the Masters and everything else is fantastic, but just knowing what it meant to my dad and, and what the PGA pros have done for me, uh, growing up in Indiana, all those guys are fantastic. And I moved myself down to Mississippi and the club pros there were just as, uh, welcoming. So PGA does a great job. Uh, and dad, like you said, a member forever. And it was cool. Uh, you know, my mom actually, when I was probably two or three years old, she would check my grip because dad was working. You know, mom was there, uh, uh, it's for me and, and, and as much as anybody. And she's like every other mom took you to junior tournaments, spent that time with me. And, and my dad, as I got older and older, I, I really didn't want to know anything about the golf swing. I wanted him to tell me, you know, what do you want me to do? And, and I did it. And, you know, that may have hindered me later on. Uh, and I've, I've probably learned more about the golf swing now that I've worked for the golf channel, but he was just, a, I never saw my golf swing really until I was probably in college or almost out of college. You know, he was one of those guys that had a great eye. He stuck with the basics. And I think teaching and instruction sometimes, uh, today we get all worried about our golf swings and we forget about our grips, our setup, the basic stuff, uh, because it has to start somewhere. And that's one thing my dad always, you know, really pushed us, uh, my brother and my sister and anyone he taught is, you know, get the right grip, get the setup. Uh, and, and the only couple of things I ever thought about was making a good turn and tempo. And we kept it pretty simple. Uh, and then I think that was, the way I played it, I saw shots. I had a great imagination. I, I considered myself a field player and I really didn't want to know about mechanics. And I probably wished I would have, uh, when I did get struggling in my later on in my career to maybe figure out why those things were happening. Not thinking golf swing, but why, you know, a particular shot did this. Check your setup. Cause usually it gets back to your setup or something just minor. Uh, when you're, when you're pushing the ball or pulling the ball like that, it's a lot of times gets back, check your setup. That's the first thing you need to do. And that's one thing he always stressed to me. And Jim, your wife, Sissy, your sister, Jack, mm-hmm. your brother, Jeff, they've all been touring professionals. And looking back to 1990 with, you know, the success that the Gallagher family has had in the game, you guys were awarded the Jack Nicholas Golf Family of the Year award. Had to be a huge throw for you guys. Oh my gosh, that was such a cool, that was such a cool award to think that we could, you know, here's a bunch of kids growing up in a little bit of town in Marion, Indiana, and just all, you know, that's the cool part of that award and, and knowing that, you know, Jack Nicholas's name's on it, of course. Uh, and it was, it was very honoring. And, uh, I always remember when we got the call, dad was so proud. I think that's the thing, you know, and I've had the that won the state am and my son plays, my other daughter. You know, it's just watching them play and knowing how proud I am to see how they've had success. I can't imagine what my dad and mom were thinking. Here's some people who grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, steel mill town, and moved to Indiana on basically an ad he saw in a magazine for an assistant pros job. And to see in 1990, like you said, when the uh, golf family of the year, it just it was a special time for us and something we'll always remember. And Jim, as a kid growing up in Indiana, how did you go from there to playing your college golf at Tennessee? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like I had to get south because, you know, in Indiana, 
basketball was king, and I was one of those kids who wanted to play for Marion High School. You know, our arena held 7,000 people. I wanted to play in front of all those people, but that dream kind of quit quickly end in 10th grade after they won two state championships. Uh, I wasn't quite good enough, and and, uh, and it, it allowed me to focus in on golf, and I think that was the beauty of it all, uh, to think that you grew up there and, and were able to, to live that dream. And I, I just look back and just, I've been a blessed person and things fall into place for me. Uh, but it, it is, it's amazing when you look at the journey and how that started, uh, in Marion, Indiana. And, you know, I just, in the wintertime, I played basketball and I, and I think that's the thing for the listeners out there. If your kids want to play other sports. They should. Uh, if they get to seventh, eighth, ninth grade, they can maybe play one a season, but they should play all the sports. I think it helped so much in golf. It did me. Uh, and it taught me, and I think that's why when you, when you see the Ryder Cup and, and you're seeing now the NCAA on B and golf channels covering it, it's team events and we don't play a lot of team events. So if you're not a member of an, another sport, you don't learn how to play as a team. And I think those things are seeing a lot more players on the PGA Tour, the LPGA that have played other sports. And, and that was the cool part growing up is, is being able to do that. And, and then all of a sudden dad and I went on a recruiting trip and we, I think we went to South Carolina. We looked at a couple of places and I just went to Knoxville and fell in love with it. Uh, they were playing army. Army hadn't won a game in several years and there's 90 some thousand screaming folks in there. And I'm saying, I've been to Notre Dame games and they're fantastic, but I got to be part of this. And I knew it was a place that I could play. Their golf team wasn't anything special. Uh, they played a different golf course every day, which I like to do. I hated the practice. I love to be able to, to play different golf courses. And, and it was a great move for me. I get to play in the Southeastern Conference. And as you mentioned, we won the SEC my freshman year with a bunch of kids that nobody ever heard of. Uh, and that was the cool part. We had some great teams there. Uh, and they've got good teams there now. And I just think it was a cool place for me to keep moving south. And I had to learn how to play in Bermuda. I hadn't played on Bermuda much. And that was a big uh, change for me as well. But it was four years. I'll always remember it. Was fun. Uh, and, and, you know, the dream was always to play the PGA Tour, but my biggest goal was to graduate in four years, get my degree. Uh, and that's the thing I'm probably the most proud of is, is I spent those four years. I worked hard, graduated on time and uh, went on to the PGA Tour. So I did the things the right way. Uh, and it wasn't easy. I mean, now I don't know if I could play college golf. It's a full-time job for these kids working out in the morning, going to class. I mean, it's, you know, 15, 16 hours of their day are already taken. They barely have time to sleep. And it's just so much different now than, than when I play. And, Jim, speaking of things that you have to be proud of, 1995, you get inducted into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, plus you win the FedEx St. Jude over in Memphis by rolling in a 10-15 footer on the last hole to win that golf tournament. Take us through what, you know, what have to be what I would think would be two of the most thrilling moments of your sports life Right there in Tennessee. Yeah, you know the coolest part is is, is the the FedEx more than we. And I'm not I'm not downgrading it. It's fantastic. But we played the game because we loved it. We didn't do it to be in the Hall of Fame. But the thing that probably stood out more than anything is that we could FedEx and the story is people can go online and look it up. A little girl named Lindsay Gilmer was from my hometown in Greenwood, Mississippi, and I think she was about eight or seven or eight, maybe nine at the time. And uh, they went to church with us, and they're on the porch, and she, her, she and her mom came over. And I think this was about March, and they said that she had come down with leukemia. And, I mean, you're thinking, I've got two young kids at home, and they're seeing here's this little child that has leukemia. And, and I don't know, good Lord put it on my heart. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you're going to St. Jude's, I'm going to win that tournament in the summer. 
promise you I'm going to win that tournament. Thinking nothing about it and going through, and I get there that week, and it's just I had a peace and calm over me that whole week. And Sunday I had a decent lead, and I remember going to Bobby Hall, who's the local writer, and I said, you can't write this unless I win. And I haven't told anybody this, but I dedicated this if I win to Lindsey Gilmer, and I told him the story. And I had a pretty good lead going to the back nine, and I made, uh, I think I made double at uh, 12, bogey 13, and I'm leaking oil so bad. And I'm just like, dude, if you blow this for this little girl, you know, and on and on and on, I finally settled myself down. And when I made that putt about 10 feet on the last hole, ran around, I was so excited. I high five, and I got to the ceremony, and I'm just bawling, and everybody's looking at me like, why are you crying? And then I told the story. Uh, so it was a very special moment for me. Only two hours from where I've lived for you know over half my life, and the win there in the state of Tennessee, where I you know went to school on the other side of the state, but to win that in, in that little girl, who's now doing great, got two kids, is doing fantastic, and a neat part of the end of that story is that fall when they told her she was in remission, uh, Disney World, PGA Tour, we hosted PGA Tour inside the PGA Tour from Disney World, and we flew, they flew them down and they took the whole family for that trip, so. Wow. Uh, that was the coolest part of that whole story. And if you go on, it's online, you can find it and it tells that story and it'll make you cry. I mean, I got kind of compared just talking about it. And she's in her thirties and doing fantastic. And that's the great thing about St. Jude Hospital right there, two hours from where I live. Uh, the great stories that come out of that. But uh, that, that to me was as much memorable. And that was my last win. Uh, and it, you know, everybody says, wasn't it awesome? And, and it was. And I remember, you know, what, Excuse me. So, what'd you do after you ate? I said, "Well, the kids and I went to the drive-through. They wanted chicken nuggets. We got a hamburger and we drove home. And that was our celebration, <laughs> uh, you know. And then, you know, the next week we're going off to the next tournament. But it was just so cool. Uh, and and I get chills thinking about it. Any time, and I haven't really got to call the tournament much there. But when I do walk on out 18th green, I just have that memory of me making that putt, and I just see it over and over and over in my brain. And it's just uh, things like that, that. All that hard work that put in and, and the time when you're wondering is it really worth it you know, putting in this time as a kid and putting this time in in college and it pays off on something like that and then to touch somebody's heart like that not that I had the power I had nothing to do with me the good Lord blessed you know me with the talent to be able to pull that off and it just turned out to be a great story but uh, yeah, yeah. What, what a cool 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 ending for me yeah what a fantastic story Jim, just a couple more before I let you go, and I want to go back to your win at the Tour Championship in 93. It was played that year at the Olympic Club. You opened the tournament by setting the course record shooting 63, and that's an incredibly difficult golf course to go shoot 63 on. What do you remember about that round? Uh, you know, the funny thing about that, I played in the USAM, I think it was 1980, and I shot 87 on that same golf course. <laughs> I think it was my sophomore year in college, and I almost quit golf over it. And I got there, and I remember walking in there thinking, God, this is the hardest golf course I've ever played in my life. And I think I bogeyed maybe 11 or 12. I think it was 12 I made bogey. And I got in there. I was just kind of in there. They said the zone. I'm playing with Gil Morgan. And thing I know, I walked in and said, I just shot 63. I mean, I, I couldn't have gone out there with two golf balls and played best ball and shot 63. Uh, but that was just so cool to do that. And, and I walked in the media room, and I said, well, I've approved you know, 24 shots from my last time I played here. Of course, they had to go back and look at it. But, you know, sitting there on 18, I'll never forget, we were sitting there behind the green, and Greg Norman's in the fairway, and he's bought, and he hits it over the green, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he can get it up and down. 
uh, and he didn't. And I ended up winning the tournament. And my wife was home, pregnant with my son Thomas, and my oldest daughter, I think, was two at the time. And I remember standing there, and I saw the video. And Judy Rankin actually interviewed me after, who I just love Judy Rankin. And she interviewed me afterwards. And next to me was one of the tour officials from Mississippi, my good friend Ben Nelson, who both of us just went in the Mississippi Golf Association Hall of Fame this last week. And I got nobody to hug, so I hugged Ben on national TV. <laughs> uh, and it was like, like, well, Ben, I'm going to hug you on anybody else. So we hugged and whatever. And I told the story in about, I don't know, a couple, you know, 95, I'm sitting there at Greensboro. And he's on the range with me. And I went again. I hug him again. I said, well, obviously, you're my favorite, <laughs> you know, rules official and my good luck charm. But it was, we got a pretty good laugh out of that. But, you know, I just remember it just, I just, I don't know how I just was calm that whole week. I was nervous, obviously, uh, the second day. But the last day, I just kind of had in. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, things fell together. I missed a short putt at 17. And I'll tell you how cool it was. On 18, that back left pin, we've seen nightmare putts from there. I actually left it short of the hole from about 12 feet past the hole off the fringe. And I just left it dead in the hole. And I looked over at Scott Simpson. He said, you couldn't do that with 10,000 golf balls. <laughs> and I just remember walking off thinking, well, you're probably right. And I'll probably finish second. And next, you know, lo and behold, Nelson and I'm walking away with the trophy. Jim, I want to get your memories also from the Ryder Cup experience in 93. You go two and one that week, including beating Seve in the singles three and two on the final day. You guys had actually trailed by a point going into those singles matches on Sunday. Talk about what it was like for you being in that Ryder Cup and then getting the draw to face Debbie in the single? Well, I had Tom Watson as a captain, which was just, you know, I was always a big fan of Tom. Still, you know, I'm still a big fan of Tom. He was just a total gentleman. And I just remember the whole week. I remember going over and making the team and getting on that plane and thinking, you know, this is really cool. We walk out. And I remember, like, like John said, you know, they play the national anthem, and I'm going like, oh, my gosh, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> what am I doing here? And I just remember the first match we lose on the last hole, and in the second match in the afternoon, or the, in the afternoon match, the second day we win, and you know we're behind, and we go in that night, and, and Tom says that I'm supposed to play Sam Torrance, and he says he's maybe not going to play, and somebody's name has to go in the hat or the envelope, and he said uh, that Lanny's name went in the envelope, and I didn't know what that meant, and what it meant if somebody would get hurt in the sing or the head to head of the singles. That name would then draw the person that was hurt and the other person would play who they were playing. So they switched. I didn't know until that morning. I know that's confusing, but I didn't know that morning I was playing Seve until we were sitting in the church service on 18 Green with Tom and Christy Kite. And I'm telling Tom, I said, I can't wait. I hope I get to play Seve. I hope Sam can't play. I want to play Seve. The little man gets on his ladder, walks up there and puts my name up against Seve. And Tom looks at me and goes, well, you got what you wanted. I go, yep. And I, I didn't have time to be nervous. I really didn't. Uh, and nobody expected me to win. Uh, I felt like I had, I, you know, it could only help me. And I remember just before I walked to the first team, Maria Floyd, uh, Raymond's wife walked up to me and she grabbed me by the shirt. She goes, Jim Gallagher, I just bet a hundred dollars. You're going to beat Seve. Don't let me down. And I was more nervous to let Maria down than to lose <laughs> Seve. Uh, and, and I was just like, Oh no, I can't lose to this. And I remember hitting the tee shot at one and, 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 and walking down the tee and I heard Bernard Gallagher telling, uh, Seve, you're beating seven and five. And I turned around to Tom and Lanny and I said, I'm going to whoop his butt. He's going down today. And I, it took the nerves away and I was just had a sense of peace. I really did the whole day. 
he could not have been nothing but a gentleman. He was perfect uh, to play with. I was always a fan. Always had respect for him. He never. Everybody always said, "Did he try anything?" No. Sebi was a true gentleman, uh, and I remember him having a tear in his eye when you know I beat him. It, it just meant so much to him. And I thought to myself, "I just beat arguably the greatest Ryder Cup player in the history of the game. If I can do this, why can't I continue to play well?" And it just took my confidence to an entire different level, and probably put some pressure on myself too and expectations. Uh, and I think that's what I, I wasn't aware of. I wasn't as sharp out it and understanding what I knew now. Cause I, sometimes when I got struggling, Oh yeah, you beat Seb, you're supposed to be playing at this level. And I think I struggled with that. Even though I won a couple of times in 95, those things, those expectations have been there towards the end, but man, it was a week. I'll always remember my mom and dad were there. My aunt and uncle were there and, uh, to beat Seve Ballesteros. I mean, I, it's the last, our team was the last win in Europe. Uh, in 90, uh, 93 for the Americans, but I, I think that's going to change. I think the American teams are getting stronger and stronger. Jim, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with the great things that you're doing now, whether they're, they're uh, following you online or it's on social media? Well, I actually have a podcast called Only One Shot Golf, and it's been cool. The book was written by VJ Perlio, who's the uh, swing instructor at Old Waverly, and it basically... The book is based on what makes an elite golfer elite. He used half of the story of my life with my dad teaching me and combined it with, you know, what makes elite players in his opinion. And he's written several books and he's a great instructor. And so we started doing this podcast called Only One Shot Golf. We've been doing it for about two and a half years. I get college coaches, uh, instructors, players, a bunch of my tour friends, and it's just fun to do that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I do Gallagher Jr. on Twitter and then Gallagher, uh, Gallagher Jr. on Instagram. So, the kids kind of watch me to make sure I'm tweeting responsibly and doing the right things on Instagram. So they kind of control me a little bit there, but the podcast <laughs> has been so much fun. Uh, but you know, as, as my, the kids said, you can't post more than once a day, dad, quit posting all these things. So uh, I have to be aware of that, but it's, uh, you know, when you get to our age, you just kind of, kind of go with it, do what the kids tell you. But the podcast has been so much fun. I had Barbara Nicholas on at one time. I've had Nancy Lopez. I've had Archie Manning. I've had so many. I could go top college coaches and I've been covering a lot more college golf. So it's been helpful to do that and get to know these coaches and these players, but it's been, it's been fun to do that. I do my own editing and music. So if you hear some mistakes in here, that's because I'm just a rookie trying to do it uh, on my own, but I, I have a lot of fun. Jim, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule and the Justin Bieber concert to come and be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Yeah, I will. Justin Bieber concert, you saved me from that, Chris. <laughs> Anytime, give me a call. And I love Justin Bieber. I just didn't want to sit there and concert. <laughs> Jim, you're fantastic. Take care, my friend. All the best in your family. We'll catch up soon. All right, buddy. Thanks. See you, Jim. That's a great Jim Gallagher Jr. So many great stories. And I tell you what, that, that FedEx St. Jude one, it gets you, you know, choked up just hearing what that was like. And I am going to certainly go back and read a little bit more of the detail, but what a tremendous thing to to promise a little girl with leukemia that you're going to come win that that golf tournament for her, uh, and then and then pull it off. That's that's legendary stuff right there, folks. And Jim's fantastic. I look forward to having him back on the show again soon. 